Hey guys, welcome back to uh, Light Lion Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris Brossom, joined as always by my good friend, Dakota Jacobson. And we are continuing our critical question series. We're down to the final two. So if you're thinking to yourself, hey, I'm kind of burnt out of the critical questions, um, just bear with us for this episode and one more episode. I promise these two next ones are going to be well worth the time and well worth the listen. So uh, just hang in there and then we're going to move on to you know some different topics. Um, but yeah, so today we are talking about miracles and the critical question um, outright is how should we think of miracles today? And that's kind of a loaded question. So Dakota, why don't you kind of just give us some opening thoughts? You know, what what are miracles? How how should we be thinking of them? Do they happen today? You know, what are your opening thoughts there? And then we'll get into some of the theological weeds. For sure. Obviously, very, you know, that is kind of a you know, it's it's a prominent thing that we see in our in our culture today. Obviously, it's something that's been around for all time, but it's it's you know the the discussion of it has gotten I'd say more and more divisive. You know, really over the last I I can only say over the last twenty years because that's as kind of since I've been you know engaged in in seeing these things. So it's probably been a lot more than that, but it's incredibly divisive because it's like how do you define what a miracle truly is? Right? Is is a miracle only pertaining to healing when someone receives healing? Is miracle um, pertaining to salvation and somebody um, having their eyes open to the truth of the gospel. And so I think it's one of those things where it's it's not black and white. It is a bit gray. However, at the at the heart of miracles, I think we do see some common themes. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going to keep it high level for now as we kind of get into the theological ramifications of it. Um, but we do see some, some, some common themes in and patterns as it pertains to miracles and being able to confirm their validity or reject them completely. Yeah, totally. And sorry, I put you on the spot there. That wasn't part of the plan, but I was just like, I'm going to see what, see what he's got for us. Um, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's definitely, uh, well, it really, any theological discussion you have to approach, you know, number one with grace and humility, but also understanding that there's a lot of people who are born again, believers who differ on this view, um, or, or differ on their views in terms of miracles. And we'll talk a little bit about that today, but first, um, let's talk a little bit about what, you know, constitutes a miracle. Cause like you said, is a miracle, someone being raised for the dead or, you know, the Cowboys going to the playoffs, can that be considered a miracle? Like how, how do we know if something qualifies as a miracle? And so I think we should start there and really, a. a Ligonier, they have a great article on this, but I'm just going to read their definition because I think it's a good starting point. It says, a miracle is defined as an extraordinary work performed by by the immediate power of God in the external perceivable world, which is an act against nature that only God can do. For example, resurrections and floating axe heads. And so really what Ligonier is doing here is they actually differentiate between God's continuous ongoing supernatural works um, and miracles. And so, um, I think when we start to think about, okay, well, that's the definition. The Bible is plump full of miracles, right? And really, yes, there are miracles in the Bible, but this is something that, uh, Moody's handbook on theology actually pointed out. And I never realized this miracles really only seem to happen in clusters in the Bible, right? There's not like a miracle on every single page, according to this definition that I just read, right? There's really three clusters. You have uh, Moses and Joshua. There's 
cluster of miracles associated with them. Um, you have Elijah and Elisha, a cluster of miracles associated with them, and then Jesus and the apostles. And what what is relevant to all those is they all were bringing a new revelation from God to the people. And so that kind of gets us right to the crux of why do miracles happen? Well, it's to authenticate a divine message. So if you're listening to this and you're like, well, why miracles need to happen? There you go. <laughs> For sure. So Dakota, it looks like you have something to add there. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And I have a, um, so a scriptural reference here too. Actually, a couple of them. So John 3, 1 through 2 uh, says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And I know we we talked a little bit yesterday about um, signs and, and miracles not being synonymous, but that a sign is a miracle, essentially. Um, if that's confusing, then DM us on Instagram. We can go into more. But um, And then Hebrews 2, 2, 4 says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Um, so we often see the, you know, like you said, if, if people are bringing the you know, this, this new revelation inspired by the Spirit um, that is confirmed by these miracles. And it's always pointing back to God's glory. Um, and, and typically, um, especially, you know, specifically as we see in, you know, with the apostles and the miracles that they, that they did, it's calling people to repentance and salvation. Yeah, totally. And you, you bring up these verses from John, which is great because every time, you know, you kind of, you see the word sign, right? Most of the time. And uh, that that's significant because, like you were saying, miracles and signs, they are related, but they're not identical. A sign or a miracle is an act, right? A sign is a miracle with a theological significance, and you see that all throughout John's gospel. You know, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus miraculously multiplies the, the fish and the bread. But then what does Jesus do? He gives a theological statement about himself. I am the bread of life. Yes, I have satisfied your physical appetite but what i'm really here to do is satisfy you spiritually right so every time jesus does a sign particularly in john's gospel it's connected to a theological truth and uh, dakota i think you had mentioned this yesterday kind of in the in the prep for this where you were talking about um the paralytic man right mm -hmm. and and jesus forgives him first of his sins and the pharisees like oh he's blaspheming and Jesus is like, okay, well, Mr. Pharisee, which one's easier for me to say his sins are forgiven or to tell this man who is paralyzed to get up and walk? And so Jesus, just to prove his point that he did forgive the man, in fact, he also go ahead and says, hey, go ahead and take up your mat and go home. Well, it's important right? too because and, like it shows that the miracle itself is – or, or the, the act of healing itself is kind of a byproduct or just a, a in addition to the greatest – um, you know, call it what you want, but the greatest gift that 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 Jesus is yeah. you know is giving this man, which is forgiveness of sins, um, and we often see that with where the miracles are showing us the that that our greatest need um, needs to be met, right? And that's not our need to you know for the the paralyzed man to be able to walk or for the blind man to be able to see. It's for us to have reconciliation and to be made right with God um, and forgiveness right. forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus. And miracles are are a yeah. way that He shows that. 
Yeah, well, and one thing too that's sort of interesting I was just thinking about is the fact that miracles, if someone's a recipient of a miracle, that doesn't necessarily always mean that that person's saved. And the reason I say that, and this isn't something that's like explicitly stated in scripture, but if you think about it, Jesus's ministry over three years, he had to have healed thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Um, John says that he did so many miracles that if he wrote down all of them, the world could not contain the volumes, Right. Right. And so Jesus, he healed tons of people. Um, you know, he healed the sick, cured leprosy, all these sort of, sorts of things. But it, isn't it kind of interesting to think about that when Jesus is, you know, he's on trial, isn't it kind of striking that not a single person stands up and says, well, no, Jesus restored my sight. <laughs> you know, you don't see that anywhere. People who likely were recipients of some of these miracles were the ones in the crowd yelling, crucifying, uh, crucify him. And that's, you know, that's kind of an abstract thought. Again, that's not explicitly stated in scripture, but it's something we're thinking about just because someone's received or been associated with a miracle. That That's not a reason for someone to say, oh, well, I definitely know I'm saved because right. I saw this miracle or whatever. Well, Luke so, 17, 11, um, real quick, because yeah. I'm going off mm-hmm. of that because, you know, we see the the uh, story here of Jesus cleansing the 10 lepers. And we see here that it says in Luke 17, 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. You know, so out of the 10 that were healed, only one of them returned. And he was a Samaritan, right, too. exactly. The, the other nine were, were Jews. Exactly. Um, which is significant, of course, when we talk about, you know, the gospel going out to the Gentile nations and those sorts of things. But so sort of moving on here, we have to uh, get in, like I said, we have to get into a little bit of theological weeds if we're going to talk about miracles. And we've already alluded to this, but there are a range of views concerning miracles today specifically. We obviously know miracles happened in biblical times. We have them in scripture. Um, They were attested to by eyewitnesses and these sorts of things. So we can have confidence that they are historical events, not just, you know, parables or, or myths. Um, But there are different views on miracles that happen today or that are reportedly happening today. And so let's go ahead and transition now, Dakota, into that conversation yeah. of cessationism versus uh, continuationism. Do you have any opening thoughts there, or, or should we maybe just start with definitions so people kind of understand where what we're talking about? Yeah, we can. Uh, we can start with the definition, and I'll um, I'll I'll just go through mine, and and then you know you can kind of give us yours as well because the the interesting thing about as it pertains to things like this, and obviously every theological discussion is going to be. Kind of, and it's going to have some depth to it in terms of not being able to just answer it in a you know one sentence or two sentence deal. And if you ask ten different people, you're probably going to get ten different responses. Cessationism high level is, and I'm just going to read this verbatim: it's the belief that God can and does perform miracles today, but doesn't use specific individuals to perform miraculous signs. That's one piece of of the um, of the equation. Not that God can't use specific people, but that they're not specific people that have been given the office of healer um or apostle or things like that and and chris feel free to, to push back on on some of these as well and then continuationism as far as i understand it is the belief that all spiritual gifts including miracles are just as active and applicable today as they were in the early church this belief holds that some have been given supernatural giftings to perform miracles so really where i see the discrepancy here and in something that i I used to have a, a incorrect view of what cessationism was i used to believe that cessationists and there are certain subsets of cessationists, I think, that probably are this way, but they believe the miracles, I used to think that they would believe that miracles don't even occur at all today, completely miracle-free. However, the more that I kind of dove into to the belief of, of the you know, cessationism philosophy, it was that miracles do, occur, do still occur today, 
but obviously it's not a it's as as god wills it and allows it to because we still see people being healed we still see miracles all around us but it's it's in god's divine sovereign will and plan he can use whoever he wants to in the time that he wants to use them rather than somebody having a special gifting to heal yeah so that's i think where the where the discrepancy is for me yeah when i think there's a sliding scale on both sides so whether you're a cessationist or a continuationist these words are so hard to say um regardless of which camp you kind of find yourself in you'll also find that there's like a sliding scale or like various degrees so for me personally i kind of more so agree um with the what's called classical cessationism that says that miracles do happen today however there are no miracles that occur that are related to a new divine revelation so that's kind of the distinguishing factor you talked about some cessationists, or your view used to be that cessationists believe, well, just no miracles happen, period. And there is a group of cessationists that believe that they're called complete or absolute cessationists, and they really believe that there are no miracles or anything like that. And then kind of on the opposite side, there's what's called concentric cessationists, and those that group believes that miracles don't um, occur today – as it relates to divine revelation, so kind of similar to classical cessationism, but they have sort of a clause in there that says unless it is a area that has not yet been reached by the gospel. So that's kind of the different – so there's a sliding factor, and then once you go to the continuation side, you have people – You know, some might say, well, no, having the gift of healing or tongues or whatever, it's not necessary for salvation. And then there's a group that says, no, that's an absolute mandatory sign. Like you have to be able to speak in tongues. And then it's a result of that belief where you have these schools popping up today, and particularly in the U.S. I don't know if they're in other parts of the world as well. But you have these schools where it's like the school of spiritual gifts. By by its very definition, it can't be something that's learned, right? Right. I can't learn to speak in tongues. Um, well, I guess I technically could if I took a class in Spanish or Latin, you know, and I learned to speak a different language. But the whole thing of tongues is speaking a language that you don't know, but somebody else knows, right? That's and so, anyways, that's kind of where I fall on the spectrum. Um, like I said, I I'm what is called a classical cessationist. Miracles happen. We've known people who had tumors. Right. And uh, people prayed over them, laid hands on them. Next time the person goes to their doctor's appointment, to the doctor's astonishment, the tumor is not only shrinking, it's completely gone as if the person never even had it to begin with. And um, just recently, uh, Alyssa's family, they had um, there was a death in the family and they ordered the wrong amount of food basically for the reception of the funeral. They ordered for 75 people and over 200 people showed up and everyone ate and they never ran out of food. So I don't know like, you know, kind of how you want to look at that, but I do think miraculous events, unexplainable events certainly still occur um, today. So that kind of though gets us into – because I just talked about this whole food thing, right? How do we – how can we identify – a counterfeit miracle because we know not all things that happen that are unexplainable are in fact works of God. We do know that deception can occur. We do know that illusions can occur. So how can we sort of arm ourselves with with discernment when someone comes to us saying, oh my gosh, I saw this most incredible miracle. Right. You know, how, <laughs> how how can we know? Yeah, I would, I would, um, I mean, we, we want to approach all of this as we want to do really everything with a 
with a lot of humility, you know, because there are there are Bible believing brothers and sisters in Christ who, you know, who we will spend eternity with, who maybe have a a bit more of a um, you know, as it pertains to some of these gifts or or miracles, they might have a little bit more of a, a liberal view on them in that they're, you know, the you know, kind of a lot of the things as it pertains to like prophecy and things like that. That doesn't mean that we don't want to be careful and we don't want to call people to uh, repentance if that's necessary. Um, I think it all comes down to really like the the heart of the miracle itself is a really good way to kind of determine the validity of the miracle. And what I mean by that is really who is receiving the glory in this miracle. That's not a complete way to to determine it, but that's at least a good starting point. So if if a miracle unfolds, if God is the one receiving all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise for that miracle, then that's beautiful. You know, that's not necessarily validating the miracle itself that that is in of, in of itself a miracle, but it's at least a good place to start. If we see though, we're you know, this is something that we see really in in televangelism and this kind of shift to the whole you know, word of faith, name it and claim it sort of philosophy or, or theology, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's, it's very man-centered. It's very, uh, you know, man-centered in that one, you have an apostle or a, uh, a prophet, whatever you want to call them, that's kind of at the head of this group or this organization. And they're typically the ones that are kind of um, behind the scenes, kind of, kind of pulling all the strings. And, uh, you know, and, and there's, I mean, I, I think of, of specific like examples where like it's, it, it almost functions like a cult. And I hate to say it that way, but it's where you almost have like a cult leader and then a bunch of people that are kind of indebted to this cult leader, whether it be by means of, um, you know, uh, psychological manipulation or they feel like maybe that person has a special divine, um, you know, calling or, or that they're a mediator of some sort. It's a really slippery slope once we start getting into the office of miracle worker or the office of prophet um, in that it'd be easy for these people who are holding these offices to put themselves on a pedestal that they were never supposed to be at. And so I would just say, use, just use a lot of discernment, use a lot of humility and discernment in these things. Um, we see a quick example here of, of somebody that is, that is using a miracle and trying to, to use it essentially to prop themselves up. We see that in, here in, in Simon the Magician. You know, we see after he has seen these amazing acts that have been done, these miracles, specifically the, the Holy Spirit, you know, people receiving the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. And he says to uh, he says to them, he's like, give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Um, Peter could directly say that to pretty much any televangelist today. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Yeah. Well, and that's not even to add in, you know, kind of to the charges of claiming that you're doing something in the name of the Lord, you know, when you know for a fact that you're deceiving or whatever. But one thing that I wanted to say too, kind of just thinking out loud here about how our culture receives miracles and now I'm not talking necessarily only about the Christian community. I'm just talking about, you know, modern 21st century culture. I think because of the rise of televangelism and faith healers and people who literally have built their entire ministries off of 
phony miracles and phony healings, right? I think the culture at large is more skeptical than ever of the supernatural. They're more skeptical than ever of the existence of miracles. And I've seen that infiltrate Christianity. I've, I, and I'm just kind of admitting here that there's been a point in my Christian walk where I'm like, well, I don't see miracles today. And the ones that are alleged, I know that they're not real. Right. And so I would just want to say to our listeners that be, be sure to guard yourself against not being so influenced by the culture I do think that there is a healthy biblical skepticism that should come when we hear about miracles, of course, and um, we see that in Scripture. Now, I would never say that we need to take our lead from the Pharisees. If anything, just do the opposite of what the Pharisees do, but we do see an example in Scripture, right? In John 9, Jesus heals the blind man, and done with the right heart behind it, I think it kind of gives us a good example. The Pharisees were hard of heart, and they were wanting to disprove and discredit Jesus. I think for a believer, though, if you're wanting God to be glorified, I think if if your heart is that, this is a good way to go about it. The Pharisees, they kind of are like, okay, this man was blind. He is now saying that he can see. So what do they do? They go to the parents, and they're like, is this your son? And they're like, yeah. Was he born blind? Yeah. Well, how does he see? And the parents like, we have no idea. You can go talk to him. He's old enough to speak for himself, right? That's basically the interaction. Now, of course, like I already said, the Pharisees, their their intentions were sinful. They were hard of heart, and they wanted they were trying to do everything they could to reject the miracle. I think, though, for the Christian, we should have a similar type of skepticism with a correct posture of heart. So if someone comes to me and they say, hey, my neighbor was blind and a pastor came and prayed on him, uh, laid hands on his eyes and asked God to recover the man's sight and, and that happened, you know, I, I should inquire a little bit, you know, because number one, I want God to be glorified, but I also don't want to be deceived. Right. Right. And so I do think there's a hell, and I hope that People aren't hearing me say, oh, well, let's take our leads from the Pharisees. I hope that I'm clear to not do that. But I am trying to say that there should be a, a healthy biblical skepticism when you're hearing of miracles um, today. And real quickly, I do have kind of the um, the, the Prosser checklist for miracles. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, but I think it's a really good one. And Dakota, you really – um, nailed one of them already just talking about, you know, what's the outcome? Is God being glorified or is man? And so I think some things that we can add to that is number one, is the is the miracle in question, is it tied to any sort of new divine revelation? In other words, is a person coming um, and, you know, performing a miracle and claiming it's through the power of the spirit, but then they're also saying, and I have a new word from God as well. Um, that would be obviously for me. I think that's a little bit more of a stronger case that it is not, in fact, an authentic miracle if it is challenging um, God's revelation in Scripture. Okay, so that's the first thing, and I'll skip over the second one because, like I said, that's already been covered by Dakota. Um, but the third one is: Does the miracle have eyewitnesses and confirmation? This kind of goes into biblical, like a healthy skepticism of, you know, well, who was there? You know, was this just something that happened to you privately? Um, and not to say that private miracles don't happen. They certainly do. There's many people in a cancer ward who have received supernatural healing without someone laying hands on them. They were just better. You know, so I'm not trying to say that's the only thing itself. 
But um, I do think that there should be eyewitnesses and confirmation. If you notice in Scripture, when these miracles are happening, um, you know, particularly with the apostles, there were eyewitnesses, right? They were confirming that these things in fact happened, and Jesus's ministry largely was performing public miracles, not because Jesus was um, doing that for any bad reason. Of course, he's God. He was without sin, but um, really the signs and the miracles, again, were an authentication of his message. So I think at the end of the day, if a miracle does not point us back to the gospel, it does not point us to Christ, it does not cause us to praise and worship and glorify God, I would say that with all those things in consideration, it's probably just a counterfeit, you know, whether it's psychological manipulation, which we know is possible, um, especially now what we know about like hypnosis and all these sorts of things, we know that it's possible to deceive people. Um, and there's people who make millions of dollars being street, uh, you know, street performers or stage magicians. Right. And we'll see things we're like, Oh my gosh, if that really happened, that would be a miracle. A person getting cut in half and not dying. Right. (laughs) So we do know that there, we exactly. But my point is, is we do know that there are ways for people to be deceived. Um, so if, if someone's, doing counterfeit miracles and i'm not going to say the person's name but there's a very popular evangelist who does this thing with the feet he's like oh you have back pain let me you know fix your your feet are not aligned and right. literally it's it's a illusion like he's making it look like he's fixing them but he's really not it's just a matter of angles and the camera and all that sort of stuff um so anyways just test it you know uh test all miracles against god's word if there's something that goes against god's word then you got to reject it, no matter how authentic it may seem to your senses. If it goes against what Scripture says, um, right. you got to, you know, got to reject it because God's not going to contradict Himself. Yeah, and I, I would just say too, like off of the specifically off of like the the foot piece. So somebody that's engaging in these, um, in these acts or or you know claiming to be miracles, if you know if, and I I doubt probably anybody listening to this is probably going around trying to perform miracles and and you know doing this, but really just kind of a general overarching statement. If you're trying to use deception to bring truth, that's a really, really horrible way to try to bring truth. So even if you're trying to justify your 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 fake miracle, even if you know that you yourself are not doing a miracle, but you're justifying it by saying, if I do this thing, maybe they'll be more open to the gospel. We don't see any directives in, in scripture that show us bring deception first, and then maybe it'll clear a path for the gospel that's completely antithetical to any of that. So another piece too is that as it comes to um, or pertains to discernment, a lot of these so-called miracles, it, they don't take a lot of discernment to to see that that they are not in fact those things. Anything that cannot be verified, Chris, like you said, I want to harp on that. Anything that's not verifiable, we really need to be careful of of accepting that. I saw a a video probably a couple months ago of an interview of this lady who claims that she has gone to heaven like thousands of times. And she was being interviewed by this girl and she was telling this girl about the, you know, cotton candy clouds and the lemon, you know, gumdrop mountains, whatever. And this girl is just sitting there just, Oh my goodness. Like, that's amazing. Like, you know, wow. And it's, there's, there's nothing that even if she was to say, praise God, that God is not being glorified in that, in that delusion, in that yeah. deception, it's it's really doing probably quite a lot of damage because, like you said, you made a good point that when we have all of these um, these counterfeit things going on, it turns people off entirely to anything that is supernatural. Um, and we know that yeah. God is still supernaturally working today. In First John four one through uh, just one through three, 
um, or one through two. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Um, this makes me think of like Joseph Smith. He, if you don't know who Joseph Smith is, he was the uh, founder of Mormonism. He used to, to try to like tell the future through like seer stones. And he would have like, like literal stones that he would be able to like tell people he could see things in and find treasure and things like that. And then what did he do? He subsequently brought a different revelation or gospel. And we see that really all throughout history. So it's not always that obvious, but just, you know, my, my, my request is that you just use discernment um, and take it back to scripture. Is God being glorified? And are we seeing something that aligns with what we see in scripture um, and not a yeah. theology based entirely on, on, you know, just acts and rejecting the entire rest of the Bible? Yeah, well, and I think, too, um, another area that we might maybe should just bring up so our listeners are aware is where this is exceptionally common is kind of in the word faith movement or the prosperity gospel where people are saying, hey, if you come in and you tithe, um, there's some pastors who have gone to far uh, as far as to say God is then in your debt. He's got mm. to pay you back eventually for this, and so you're planting a seed that you can later cash in. So give me the money now, and then when you or a loved one has cancer or someone you know is, is severely sick or maybe they have dementia and you want God to heal them, well, you can come back to God and say, God, I've been faithfully giving to you. Um, you know, right. so to do this. And we see that a lot kind of in that prosperity movement. And then kind of one final thought here, and then we can wrap this thing up. Um, you know, just sort of thinking about like, don't get me wrong, in my life, I have so desired to want to see a person raised from the dead, or I've so wanted to see, you know, just a irrefutable act of the supernatural. But I think that should not be our norm. We should not so desire that thinking to ourselves, oh, well, I'll believe I'll have greater faith if I could just see, you know, a miracle. And the reality is, is that scripture number one, we think of the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, right? What is the response to the rich man when he says, oh, well, send Lazarus back from the dead. Tell my, warn my brothers. The response is, nope. He has the law and the prophets. If he doesn't believe them, he's not going to believe a dead man. And so I think we have to be just real careful on our desires, you know, when it comes to, well, I want to see a miracle because I think it's going to help me believe more. That That is not what the case. That is not the reason for miracles. The reason for miracles is to affirm what God has said. Canon, we have the canon of scripture. That is closed. So scripture now is is the revelation that we have. We cannot stray from that. And miracles, by their definition, they're not normative. Um, If God has so deemed it necessary for your good and his glory, he will perform a miracle. But that should not be like a point of contention. We're like, well, unless God does X, I can't believe in him. And then we try to put it on God, right? Well, God, I prayed for this miracle and you didn't do it. Therefore, you're either not real or you're not loving or you're not whatever, you know, fill in the blank, right? So I just want to kind of warn people, like, don't be seeking miracles experientially because you think it's going to make you a better Christian. Um, is kind of my point there. We, we got to right. keep miracles in perspective. Right. And in and, and Mark 8, 11 through 12, says the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Um, we see another example of, of kind of viewing miracles as sort of like an entertainment Herod saw when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. 
I've seen numerous debates where, um, you know, there the it'll be like an atheist and, and a Christian or something like that, and the Christian will make a claim, and the atheist will say, "Well, if you believe that, then then you know, perform this miracle." I mean, there sounds a lot like the temptation from Satan, right, in the wilderness, right? You know, it's there, there's a lot of um, there's there's just so much wrong with that. I mean, it, it's hard to it, you can't even break it down in the time that we have, but. It, the Bible clearly says in uh, in Matthew 4, 7, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So God's going to perform the miracles that he wants to perform in his timing in accordance with his providence and his ordained will. And if we get to be, you know, have the privilege of of being a part of that and seeing that, praise God. And if not, praise God. You know, ultimately, that's kind of kind of my uh, my final thought. Do you have any uh, any any final thoughts before we uh, close it out? No, um, I, I think hopefully this conversation was helpful. I mean, I, I know for me personally, like I said, in my walk, I've kind of wrestled with miracles. I'm like, well, you know, the Bible says Jesus turned water into wine, but I don't see people doing that today. And so where where I hope this episode helped our listeners, because it helped me because it reminded me a lot of biblical, uh, of a lot of biblical truth concerning miracles. Um, I just hope that if we have listeners who are struggling with, well, I don't see miracles today you know, largely there's a reason for it. There's not all these big clusters of miracles going on. We have scripture, right? So remind yourself of that. Uh, confess your weakness to God as well. If you're struggling with with those things, that's something that I had to make a practice of uh, when I went through a season. Um, and even when that season rears its ugly head, I still have to go back to God and confess my weakness to him. But guys, miracles are not normative. Um, you know, there's, there's one sore... Uh, or one core source of truth is what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Got my letters mixed up. Um, and that's God's word, right? God's word is normative. That is where we can go to know him. Uh, we don't have to have miracles. And if if miracles do happen, like you said, to go to praise God, if they don't happen, still praise God. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so kind of in closing, guys, use discernment with all these things. Don't reject outright the supernatural. Um, just use discernment as it pertains to those things. And then just understand and and know that God is moving actively. He is changing lives, and you know He He's actively moving. His Spirit is moving in our world today, um, and in in a very powerful, incredible way. So, um, that's all we have for today, guys. If uh, if you have any questions, any comments, anything that you want clarification on, or you want to talk about, feel free to message us on Instagram at Light and Line Podcast. Follow us there as well. If you have not yet, please subscribe on your favorite platform spotify apple podcast youtube wherever else you uh you get your podcast please feel free to feel oh my gosh i can't speak feel free to leave a review that really helps the podcast helps us reach more people who have not heard about us i think we have one more critical questions uh episode left and then some really exciting things on the work so excited for y'all to hear about that until next time guys keep growing in knowledge to the glory of god see y'all next time